Welcome to Robot Friends, a podcast that actively harms its audience. Episode 5, Eigenrobot vs. Goblinize. Hey, Goblin. Hello. I'm talking with Goblinods today, or Goblin, or I internally think of her as Gobs. So as as you like um how i don't quite know how to introduce you. you 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 feel like you're this sort of integral part of the social web but almost without portfolio you just you just show up and exist and and bend reality around you in a, in a really wonderful way but i don't know if there's anything more specific than that i, I don't know how would you describe yourself I mean, that's extremely an extremely flattering way of describing what I, I feel like. Yeah, I do just show up and act like I belong <laughs> in in group, and then at some point that just happened. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it it I think we're like that. If you just show up and act like you belong there, it it fits. I mean, the do you know the origin of the in group label? Uh. I'm trying to remember. Well, I remember a while ago, like Tipsy had her like outgroup tears mug. I don't know. And then I'm assuming uh-huh. banana maybe originated the in-group phenomenon, but I, I'm not really. I think that was before my time. Yeah. Well, the the in-group outgroup thing almost surely comes from Slate Star Codex, but the specific thing was in 2016, 2017, I want to say probably dropped in 2016. Such a one, shout out to such a one who is just an absolute genius of a content creator, made a, a little a little app that would take your avatar and just post check mark in group across the front of it and let you download it. And and that was it. It was it was your tribal tattoo. And there there were absolutely no limits on who could use this. The only thing that you had to do if you wanted to be an in-group, and you know, even this was optional, was was go and get this stamped across your avatar. So there was no barrier to entry. And the beauty of it was that we are so low status that the only people who actually did this were people who really wanted to be affiliated with the group and actually belonged in the group. And that, that was it. There was nothing to be gained from it. There was no, there was no reason to lie about it. Incredible. So yeah. So I, I feel like just showing up and acting like you belong is both a tried and true method and also the correct method of wanting to affiliate. So if you feel like you want to hang out and talk with us, please do that. Just don't be rude, I guess. Don't be a dick and be yeah. interesting if you can. Absolutely. I think that's all it takes. Because I know, like, I feel like members of in-group keep trying to adopt people from, like, the peripheral or, or just, just like, randos that we come across. And a lot yeah. of them are really polite and sort of play ball, but they're just mostly confused. Um and I really appreciate them, <laughs> but it's kind of nice <laughs> that people are not like assholes are not clamoring to get into in group. Yeah, no. And I, I think I, my suspicion is that assholes want to play a specific game and I don't quite understand what the game is, but it, I think maybe it's just not fun to do that around us because we don't play whatever role we're supposed to typically, you know? Yeah, we're either too earnest or we don't take them seriously enough or some bizarre combination of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's I, I think it's something around the lines of I like when people are mad at me, I try not 
like if somebody is mad at you, they're asking you to play a specific role. Like maybe you're supposed to be offended or maybe you're supposed to yell back at them or maybe you're supposed to apologize. But if you just don't do any, any of those things, it's actually very frustrating for the person who's angry at you and, and, and sort of disappointing, I think. So I, I think there's something probably parallel to different social modes where if you just don't play that game of, of whatever is boring at any point in time, like people will just kind of wander off and do something else with their lives. So yeah. how, 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 sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say, yeah, that, that checks out. Yeah. So how, how did you stumble across us? What's your origin story? Um, so I was like in less wrong circles and reading Slate Star Codex for, oh God, I, I was going to say it was recent, but no, like since, um, about college. So like 2011 ish. Um, mm-hmm. well, since I graduated college. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but I didn't really think, it, I think I had a Twitter account years ago and, and I used it for the usual bullshit, like political shit and following like Milo Yiannopoulos and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, yeah. Oh yeah. I used to be way more conservative too. Um, <laughs> way more yeah. legible, but, um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, Oh yeah, so uh, Grognor was actually a member of our local Less Wrong group for a while, and I found out about oh. his um, his like Twitter, what is it, his weird son Twitter account list. Yep. And so yep. when I finally decided to join Twitter, I was like, shit, I remember Grognor made this thing, like, I'm going to check it out. And I just followed everybody on the list. Oh yeah, I did something pretty similar to that. I came across, I don't remember which weird son it was, but I followed them, and then Twitter recommended another one, and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know it was an organized <laughs> thing. But I, I just one day in maybe 2014 sat down and followed every one of them. And I think that's how I got connected with people. But I mean, I had been reading Slate Star Codex, I think, before that. And even before that, I mean, I knew about Eliezer back when he was still more involved with Robin Hansen, who who I'd been reading since the you know early GMU days. So and that's but that's that's really interesting. I mean, so so you're sort of a troop. Uh, a literal post-rationalist in the sense that you started out in those rat circles and then I don't know, did you transcend them or get oh, not at it, all. or do you still <laughs> identify with it or no? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I feel like I've always mostly identified with it on a social level. Like I read some of the sequences and I read uh, Harry Potter, and the methods of rationality, which of course was my like gateway drug, but like ultimately I don't like yeah. reading nonfiction and I found a lot of less wrong posts were like, either way too entry level and obvious to me or like involved a lot of math that was way out of my range. And I was like, I don't want to study for this. So I just kind of capped out <laughs> as far yeah. as like usefulness went and ended up not reading much. So, I mean, I read um, Slate Star Codex or Astro Codex 10 fairly religiously now, but, and yeah. then my local friend group is still like the LA rationalists. Those are pretty much the only people I hang out with in real life. So. Oh, okay. Oh, you're in LA. Somehow I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. How's how's LA these days? And then I, I wanted to loop back to something else. In what sense? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I have the vague impression that like the core of say San Francisco is sort of imploding. Although I hear that the the burbs, to the extent they exist, are a little bit better. But I the the state of almost every large American city is interesting to me right now. Uh, I mean, okay, so I haven't been paying much attention, but I've just had the impression that LA's been kind of a shithole for ever uh i don't oh, know if it's okay. worse well it got like we kind of had our you know like homeless crisis or whatever uh i want to say like five years ago is when that started um, uh-huh. 
I mean, it was always kind of bad, but like it got to the point where in my like, you know, I grew up in a relatively safe, ritzy-ish neighborhood. And that was like, it felt unsafe to walk around in during the day, um, starting around then, I think. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, as like a tiny person (laughs) with like no danger awareness. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that can be good though. Like if you're, if you're too aware of danger, I, my suspicion is that actually sort of makes you more of a target. Whereas if you just kind of blunder through and are oblivious to the, to the potential of anybody actually hurting you, it's almost harder to profile somebody as a victim. I think it's worked so far. I don't know. I definitely, um, like a few years ago had one of those moments where I was like walking home and took a route that went under an overpass. I actually both routes to my house from this place went under an overpass. So I went under the safer one. Um, and from a distance, I saw I was approaching a bit of an encampment and I was like, shit, well, they see me. So if I turn around and like go all the way around, it's going to take longer and they're going to like be insulted or something. So I just walked right <laughs> through it and ended up <laughs> lock, yeah. I locked eyes with this guy who decided to take a piss like a foot away from me as I was like passing through. And he just, nice. I don't know, it was very aggressive and very like, oh, okay, this was the bad, the wrong choice. <laughs> But it was fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, thanks, thanks for the status report. Um, so, so okay. This this is definitely of interest to me. You said you've been reading astral, whatever he's calling it now. Yeah. And what I I subscribed immediately, and then I stopped reading when he started the back and forth with Glenn Weil because, oh. yeah. No, I skipped that so, one. Oh, you did. Okay. I was going to ask what you thought of it because I I I just hate Glenn Weil and <laughs> it, I I don't know. I thought I thought that Scott's response to it was weaker than than his usual writing. And I mean, I had a thread about it somewhere about how angry I was at at Weil and everything that he wrote. So I was a little bit curious how that resolved, but if you skipped it, I I think that's probably for the best. I mean, yeah, I skipped it because I also dislike him, but uh, I have a really terrible memory, especially for things I'm not super interested in. So I don't know why I dislike him. I just remember, like, he seemed to, there was some Twitter thread where he was like, just a real dick. And so it was like, oh, he must be dumb. I'm not going to pay attention to you anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a bit of a tragedy. I actually saw him give a seminar once. I mean, as a good seminar, he he had a really cool paper. I was going to do something like it and he beat me to the punch, which was irritating. Oh, wow. But given what he's doing right now, I, I've just developed a really profound disrespect for him. I, I mean, sort of as a representative of, of a class of people who are or were economists who are doing things that they should know better than to do and they're just kind of forgetting these basic lessons of economics and trying to like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like this thing where it's like this time will be different and it's not going to be different and, and they're going to fuck it up. And I, I just resent that. And and like, they're better than that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know like what specifically you're talking okay, about. Fair. Cause I really have paid, oh, I've deliberately paid very little attention. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fine. And actually I'm, I'm going to leave it there because I can just tell I'm going to be mad about it and, okay. <laughs> and yell me yelling into a microphone. Isn't fun. And also me talking about it is sort of directly going against your wishes of not learning anything, which I deeply respect. Oh no, it's fine. So, I just don't want to have to read. I'm fine with yeah. learning. I like gossip, but I don't like reading. Oh, 
let's let's actually do some gossip. Um, okay, I I'm curious. So I don't know. I think I sort of understand goblin aesthetic, but I don't know exactly what it is. And I thought about asking you to explain what goblin is and like what what sort of like the platonic form of of goblin is, but. I don't actually want you to make yourself legible because I don't think that's nearly as fun. So <laughs> I wonder if you could give me a list of five of the most goblin Twitter accounts who are not yourself. Oh, okay. Oh shoot. Do I have a good mental list of this? I also don't know what their current like usernames are necessarily, yeah. but there's like the obvious one is Maris. Um, oh, Black sure. Yep. Yeah. There's also Kotatsu goblin. Um, I forget what her actual handle is though now if she changed it. Uh there's okay. Bugbat Bug News. Um Bugbat News. Do I know them? Oh, Bugbat News is fucking amazing. He uh he'll I don't know if this is his main account or not, but he draws like little goblin comics. Um and he's really good friends with Relaxo, who I think is a solid honorary goblin for sure. Uh-huh. Um so that's four, right? And I know I'm missing yeah. somebody, and I'm I'm gonna be really upset about it. Uh, okay how how what what percent goblin is say is, is Salentalekia? Oh, interesting. Okay, I mean I'm gonna be real. I've never really thought much about the concept of goblin, but uh, ooh, wait, really? <laughs> ooh, <laughs> yeah. It was more. Uh, I don't even remember how it came about. I think. I think it was because um, Toadmaster, my boyfriend and I were, uh, we were like doing a YouTube thing and we decided for some reason our avatars were going to be like D&D characters and he wanted to be a barbarian. And I thought it'd be funny to be like, oh, I think I had drawn a cute little goblin in like um, a Japanese school girl girl uniform. And he was like, oh my God, that should be your character. And so I just like picked that up without actually thinking about it. But I guess, yeah, being a goblin is like not giving a shit about normal human concerns and probably being a little bit gross, um, often having hypermobility. I think that's pretty common among goblins. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like, yeah, goblins are the English. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, mm, interesting. Uh, so I think that's true. Like, yeah. Gotta be, I would guess a good 25% goblin at least. I feel like she hides yeah. it well, but not intentionally, you know, but it's like, yeah. Yeah, maybe when she's in 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 glunk mode. <laughs> yeah. Or was it glurk? Glurk. Think, it was glurk. I, yeah. Yeah, coral splendor seems the opposite of goblin, but but glurk, I mean, right there in the name. Absolutely. Coral <laughs> splendor is like some kind of mermaid thing. Yeah. And that is Yeah, really it's actually It's um it's actually I I came up with that without any reference but it turns out it's a varietal of a flower i don't remember which one i think an iris maybe Ooh, that sounds about right yeah cool okay so like would you say there's a goblin agenda (laughs) uh hmm eat a lot of mushrooms uh collect more goblins Mm, do whatever the fuck you want I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's the goblin agenda. Yeah how how do you how do you feel about the casting of David Bowie as a goblin king? Would you say that that is is in some way like appropriation of goblin culture or um, goblin face? 
Yes, but at the same time, it's an elevation of goblin culture and makes us sort of more accessible to the masses. And I think is a good, you know, reveals the the beauty within goblins. Although having a goblin king is sort of like, it's like getting one of those paper crowns from a Burger King and then um, trying to get everybody to swear fealty to you. <laughs> that actually, I really appreciate that kind of aesthetic. <laughs> man okay so um yeah i don't know so there's and then there's it feels like there's a fashion aesthetic that is associated with goblinhood and i think you pull it off very well and it makes a lot of sense to me so what where where did you develop your fashion sense? Is that just something that you get in the water when you're in LA? Like you, you just start to have <laughs> opinions about clothes and develop a wardrobe? I don't think so. Um, okay. Yeah. I also don't think, I don't think I dress very LA. People have like asked me if I was from New York before. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but that yeah. might be because I'm pasty. Like I've never seen the sun, which is accurate. I identify with that. Yeah. yeah. Um. I actually, so I wore like skater boys clothes basically up until like sophomore, junior year of high school, I think. Um, I, I can was, see like, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was very like against the idea of fashion. It felt very like, like, why do people bother to look good? It's so superficial. And so it's very hard to get into that mindset now that I'm like obsessed with pretty shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was almost like a philosophical like rebellion, like, fuck you. I'm just going to wear ugly clothes. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Which, yeah. But, but even that. You know, like even if you're putting in that much thought, it feels like you're making deliberate choices about how you're presenting yourself via clothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. It's not like I was just randomly picking up stuff from like the discount rack. I was still like, I mean, I wasn't really yeah, buying you were, clothes, actually. I think my parents like, bought it for me. But Yeah, but even still, like deliberately going and wearing the worst things that you possibly can. I mean, that like, you know, that that's that's what people do at fashion shows, you know? Fuck, you're right. What if I was actually really high fashion when I was like 13? I was you were. Oh, and I would try to wear shit that looked really anime and people would like get confused. So like I, I started wearing round glasses when square glasses were the fad because I really liked like anime with, you know, where all the characters have those giant round glasses. And it was also when Harry Potter was becoming really popular. So everybody was like, oh my God, Harry oh. Potter. Um, and I started wearing Ugg boots when, because I thought they looked like giant video game shoes. And then, like, oh. everybody started wearing them. <laughs> oh, no. It's, oh, that's terrible. And when, when it gets like taken up by the mainstream. Oh, yeah. But it, it was bad. See, it was fashion hipster, done, easy, clear. <laughs> um, so, what, what, what are you doing now? I mean, you said you're really into pretty things, but I mean, when I look at some of the clothing that you have out, it feels um, not pretty, pretty. It doesn't seem exactly like high femme. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened. I like went through a really bad growing pains phase of just trying to figure out like what women's clothes were um, and also what clothes would yeah. look good on me. And then I kind of, I, I think I settled into, like, I realized I just really like patterns and I want every piece to be a statement piece, <laughs> um, which is the opposite <laughs> of what you're supposed to do. I own zero basics um, and most of my clothes don't match each other. So I can't actually wear half of them. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it's basically like, you know how in, like the Edwardian era, all the guys would wear those like um, those like vests with a pattern, and then a coat with a different pattern, and then trousers with a different pattern. Yeah, yeah, that's basically the goal. Um, and then other than that, just like whatever kind of fits. But I, I kind of want to look like a cross between like an English schoolboy and like 
an old lady. You really pull that off. <laughs> Thank you. And it, it and it and I I mean I'm genuinely impressed whenever you start posting photos of like outfits or wardrobe. Like it feels like it's capturing what I was already sort of perceiving to be your soul and kind of amplifying it. So well oh, done. That's very good to hear. <laughs> um and okay. So another another thing when I was scrolling through your Twitter feed last night, I was actually doing research for this for this podcast. I thought it might be good for me to have some idea of what I was talking about in advance. And, and I mean this is this is in no way complaint like indicating that I was less interested in other other recordings, <laughs> but I was definitely less thoughtful about them or drunk in in the case of Disconcerta. But um so I I also noticed that you you've been doing work on makeup. Is that right? Like are you teaching yourself to use makeup or I don't uh, and I say this who knows nothing about makeup, but I am curious like what's prompting some of that. Yeah, I go through different uh very impulsive phases that are very short-lived. I mean with like literally everything. So so kind of if I see somebody doing something, I'll be like, "Oh, I want to do that," which I feel like is a very goblin instinct, like, "Oh, shiny thing, I yeah. want it." Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um so if I happen to come across a makeup video, I'm like, oh, I want to wear makeup. Um, so periodically, I'll kind of try to figure that shit out. But I don't I don't really get it yet. Other yeah. than, I mean, I, I have my like standard makeup that I used to do sometimes when, you know, I would leave the house, um, which was like incredibly basic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now I'm trying to figure out the advanced shit like foundation <laughs> and eyeshadow and deciding whether I want to actually wear them ever. Yeah, right. It I don't know. It it seems like a lot and I've I don't I still don't know that I'm completely on board with makeup or like understanding <laughs> makeup. I mean, I you know, I, I I don't wear any myself for sure and I mean, when I think about what strikes me as like really adorable in my wife, it's more like when she's a complete mess and she wakes up and she's got like total glurk face and, and and is is just and and i don't know it i'm not quite sure how to describe that but yeah I, I know what you mean though like uh the cool thing about makeup is that you can i mean i guess i learned this from drag queens you can use it to completely transform your face which is very appealing to me like it's cool to be able to be a, a chameleon or do whatever the fuck you want but it also seems like when I was growing up, it, it it felt like makeup was supposed to make older women look younger, but instead it just makes everybody oh. look way fucking older. Like any before after, like if you watch any video with a girl who starts out with a clean face and then applies a bunch of makeup, it ages her by like 10 years. And I don't yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> no, you're right. What the hell is up with that? I don't know. I mean, it's like they're adding sex appeal on, I guess. And maybe it's like, maybe youth and sexiness are in some weird way at odds. I, I don't really know. It just creeps yeah. me out. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I I think you're right. And I want to investigate this further, but I also don't know that either of us have enough expertise to, <laughs> to really like get into this. But I think that you're right. Like there's something about Yeah. I, I, I don't know where to go with that, but just, just thinking through examples. I mean like when when you look at I mean, you know, like if a teenage girl puts on makeup, like it has this real direct aging effect, you know, even, even for young people, it makes them look older. And 
maybe that's something that's appealing when you're 15, but but past that is counterproductive. I'm not sure. That's what it feels like. And like, I, I mean, I'll watch videos of women in their 30s or whatever, and you know, they'll, they'll sometimes start out in makeup, makeup, and I'll be like, "Wow, she looks way older than me." And then you know, they'll take off their makeup so they they can apply more makeup, and I'll be like, "Oh shit, she looks like a child." <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? Wait. Why would you take off your makeup to apply more makeup? This, well, <laughs> this is crazy. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's actually what they do. I think it's more like they record at different times. So they'll record with the full face of makeup and then they'll show you before they put it on sometimes. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Or the, they try to minimize what they consider their like ugly period of like, oh no, I'm not wearing any makeup now, which is just seems very delusional to me because they usually look better with it unless they have really really terrible skin which nine times out of ten is because they wear makeup every day because foundation because they wear makeup. destroys yeah. your skin does it god damn it i mean i Apparently. don't know i i've i'm 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 just becoming really skeptical of a lot of like not hygiene products exactly but something like that i mean i i stopped using shampoo about a year ago i'm really hearing about this yeah, and it's great. It's great. I, you know, I shower daily and I go through my my hair with a with a comb and that's it. And you know, my hair looks better than ever. It's not gross. It doesn't smell. It's not oily. You know, it's oily for like 2 weeks once you stop using shampoo and conditioner. What? But after that, yeah. After that, it turns out using shampoo dries the hell out of your your scalp or something like that and induces it to produce a lot more oil. So once you start using shampoo, you need to keep using shampoo or else like your, you know, scalp produces tons of oil and your hair is gross, but it more or less returns to, uh, you know, like your default state after a couple of weeks, at least for me, some people report that they just have oily as hell hair and, oh. and there's no getting around it. But yeah, in my case, it's just like, nah, like, you know, comb it out in the shower and, and I'm good to go. So and I, I mean, at this point, I have a lot of hair. I haven't had a haircut in a year, and it's it's down to my shoulders. And, oh, fantastic! Um, you know, yeah, it's really good. I I never would have done it without the pandemic, but now I'm glad that I have. <laughs> Everyone out here looking like it's Middle Earth. I'm here for it. Yeah, right. So, so one one other thing that that you mentioned on your timeline, I think a few days ago, maybe is is that your entire reason for living is to become cool. And that's probably not. I'm true. not going to make you. <laughs> is it not? Okay. I don't know. I don't remember most of the things I say, and most of the things I say are probably bullshit. So, but yeah, sorry, what okay. were you actually going to ask though? Uh, I, I was just going to ask you to talk about that a bit. You know, there there were some people who, when I mentioned that we we're going to have have this podcast, uh, mentioned that you're maybe they perceive you as using the timeline to, I don't know, do some kind of personal development, and that. Tweet in particular feels like a strong encapsulation of that that idea or that use case for Twitter. Um, do, do, does that sound right to you? Yeah, that's actually that's quite accurate. Maybe that tweet was accurate after all. Maybe it's just embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's interesting because I I think I know what you mean, even as I see you as deeply cool. So I'm I'm a little bit curious as to like what what would make you cool in your own eyes. Oh shit. See, that's the sort of thing that would be very helpful in developing coolness, you know, actually having a specific goal. And that's also way, way more thinking than what, what I normally do. Um, yeah. Goblin. I respect that. <laughs> I think what tends to happen is uh, 
like I'll have a vague goal or I'll see somebody do something that I like and I'll be like, I would like to do that too. And then I won't be able to do it as well the first time or the first five times. And I'll find that frustrating. And so the goal is to be able to do the thing (laughs) well, but also I don't like to practice. So what I I do, I think Visa's talked about this actually. Like I'll- um, I was going to mention Visa. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll obsessively hobby, like I'll pick a hobby. I'll, I'll be obsessive with it for like a day, maybe a week. And then I'll drop it, completely forget about it. Usually halfway through a project. And then I'll come back to it a year later. And then after enough years have passed, I'm suddenly like passively good at the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't really explain what becoming cool would be. I guess it might just be me beating myself up for not just being more dedicated to, uh, finding a goal and pursuing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I identify with that. Like I, I struggle to do just about, I take that back. (laughs) It's incredibly easy for me to do things if they are exactly what I want to be doing at any point in time. Yeah. Like, and, and if it's something that I don't actually want to be doing, like say work sometimes perhaps I it's, I just can't do it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe a hack is to just be okay with doing exactly what you want to be doing and, and just flexing that as hard as you care to. I'm starting to think that might be the way to just like work with your neurotype basically, instead of trying to shoehorn it, because it seems like for some people it actually does work for them to, maybe they don't get as passionate about things in the short term or they're not as impulsive, but they can actually do the whole like long haul, I guess, on a project. But that's not the only way to do things, I guess. I don't know. Like Visa is giving me hope for sure. And also hearing you say that, I'm like, you seem like a functional person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's been a struggle, you know, I, I mean, when I was in grad school, I, I worked really hard for the first year mostly. And the second year was just a complete shit show in my, in my personal life. And then after that, I I think I had sort of given up on getting an academic job and I just wanted to go and work in industry. And I sometimes I worked for 18 hours a day writing code and teaching myself to code. <laughs> and, and that was, you know, but that was easy because I had this vision of a project and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And, and so it was easy to throw myself into it. I don't know. I, I don't know if this happens to you, but occasionally I'll have an idea and it feels like that idea has just been piped into my brain directly by God. And when I get something like that, it's not exactly a hypomanic state and it's definitely not drug induced, but it is really exciting. And I just am moved to bring it to fruition but you know, if I don't have that, a lot of the time it's like, oh fuck it, I, I don't want to do this. So and and eventually, like, so so I'd have these periods of incredible productivity, and they would be interspersed with periods of me being high most of the day and and playing World of Warcraft and listening to history podcasts, which has been a lot of my life, honestly. So um, that sounds anyway, like a good yeah. balance. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I, I think. I think I've gotten more to a point now where, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not using drugs at this point because my wife is going to go into labor at any point in time. And, um, also because, you know, I have a job now and I've gotten better at smoothing things out and spending at least four hours a day actually working. And I think that's been helpful, but it's, it's a point that I've just kind of approached slowly over time rather than just, you know, flipping a table and deciding one day that I'm going to be functional. 
Right. You're so, not brute forcing it. Yeah. So it's, I, I think it's a kind of way of living that you just have to grow into rather than simply deciding that's how you're going to live your life. Although, I don't know, mileage may vary. Uh, when you when you get like really into one of these projects, do you find that like, does your interest, can you maintain your interest until the project is done? Or is it sort of like you have this window? Uh, somewhere between. It depends on the project. The one that I had in grad school, I was able to maintain that for a couple of years at least. Oh, shit. And yeah, no, it was wild. So it was that was the one where I was building a, a giant database about sex workers Fucking and cool. yeah, it was great. It was, I, I must've committed over a billion felonies in the course of this, <laughs> um, Based. you know, very, very minor. Yeah, no minor felonies, but I, I automated a scraper that went to all of these websites like, um, not Craigslist, but Backpage when that still existed. Um, a, a number of others where people posted about, you know, advertising for sex work websites where people were, were posting reviews of sex workers, which were actually really tiresome to read when I, when I did that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean like advertisements are like about you would expect, although not necessarily They they, they were often very mimetic, especially at the lower end of the market. And I, I had a side project where I was trying to track the, the evolution and spread of advertising memes by sex workers, oh, which wow. I could do. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what I was going to learn for that. that. That was my downfall. Actually, I would have these ideas for things that I wanted to do and I would take it to my advisor and she's like, Oh, that's really interesting. How is this economics? And I mean, ultimately I had to confess it wasn't, it was just what I happened to be interested in at any point in time. And so, you know, I guess you can't really be an economist if you're just doing things that seem interesting to you. That's such bullshit. But, that's the whole point of academia. I know, right? Just people like that and just pay them to play. Yeah, it's, I think it used to be different. I'm not entirely sure about that, but there, I mean, there was one guy at the university who was in his eighties and I was chatting with him one day and he was just telling me about his early career. And he said, well, and then I got tenure. I think I had published a paper by then. It's like, fucking hell, you know? I mean, like now you want to get tenure, it's, it's, it's stacks of papers and prestigious journals and, and like, and he was a great economist was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's terrible. And, and, and like, he was a great economist, but I think he just spent a lot of time sitting and thinking and not writing things that weren't worth writing. So yeah, no lucky guy. So um anyway yeah so i'm i ended up mostly deleting those data not because it wouldn't be fun to keep playing with them but i i don't want to have i a big problem with the project was that conceivably it was information that could be used to prosecute people who i didn't want to prosecute so i i came up with a series of very elaborate like one way I mean, like, you know, one way hashes and uh, I'm, I'm not going to describe the system here, but um, it was, it was pretty secure. And I think it would have been difficult to use any of these data to prosecute anybody. And also you would have had to get it out of me, which I don't know, rubber hosing decryption is a thing. And, and I suppose I could be beaten within an inch of my life, but um, I ultimately ended up deleting it all just, just because I 
don't want any kind of record of of what other people have been up to. That's a bummer. Um, yeah, no, I know. And I mean, you know, looking back on it, you know, it was like probably 40,000 lines of code in the end. And, and, and it was terrible code too. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing at first. I built this entire scraping apparatus out of like twigs and chewing gum. And, and all of that is lost now. Tears in the rain. Um, <laughs> cool. So uh, speaking of projects, um, I, I saw your video about Ashport. Oh, <laughs> right. That was How's, the last oh, Yeah. Sorry. What? Was it, okay. <laughs> no, it was, it was a good video. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, okay. So it was last week's fixation. So like you're moving on from that. I don't know. I want to try to uh, stick with it more, but I just, I don't, it's really hard for me to maintain uh, interest in anything. And that, that was my yeah. attempt to, um, to try to like, I don't know. I want to have a setting built so that I can come back to it when I'm uh, every time I get interested in D and D again or writing or whatever. I just want to have a story that I can or a, a setting that I can use as my um, backdrop for like literally anything. But now, of yeah. course, um, that I've output something, I feel like now it would be self coercive to keep working on it or whatever, which is stupid. I should just. I think I could make myself excited about the next step if I just didn't think of it as a task that had to be done. That's interesting. Like make yourself excited sounds kind of does actually sound kind of coercive. <laughs> I guess, uh, or I can, I don't know which part is artificial, whether it would be the the tricking myself into being excited or whether it's like the barrier to excitement that cur- currently exists, which I think is just, um, I don't have a clear idea of what the steps are for the next bit. Like I know, okay, I have to start yeah. making characters for this fantasy setting, like NPCs to fill out the setting. Um, but I haven't thought through specifically how I'm going to do that. So it feels like um, work rather than play. But if I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I did that, I think I could, it, I, I could turn it into play again and then get excited about it. Um, plus there's just a lot of like writing anxiety type of bullshit that I need to just, I don't know what I need to do about it really. Probably just ignore it. Interesting. What's Man, you should you should talk with uh, Sasha. Sasha, do you know? Do you oh, know him, yeah. Sasha? Yeah, Chapin. Like, he, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing Chapin. that right, but yes. I embarrassingly also do not know how to pronounce that, but um, yeah, I, he he has a seminar about that, and I, I sat in on a beta, and it was pretty good. And I think f- in his case, it was just sit down and fucking write something. There, there was yeah. more to it than that, and I actually sadly don't remember the details because it was a few months ago, which is, I mean, feels like years at this point in time, but, um, yeah, you could hit him up. Um, and, and yeah, shout out to Sasha and, and his, uh, his, I don't know, consultancy, but I think it is, it is difficult. I, I have the same problem with just about everything where, I, I think what you were hitting on is like not knowing what the next steps are or not knowing what the outcome looks like. Like with that big project that I had for my thesis, I I just in this moment had this entire crystallized vision of, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but basically how to build this entire like apparatus from collecting data to storing the data to processing the data to making the data available in, you know, a database to, you know, making it, putting it out in in statistical analyses. And I never worked that before, and I didn't know what all the intermediate parts were, but I I just had a very clear vision for what this machine was going to look like. 
And it sounds like maybe where you're getting hung up in this case is like, okay, you have this vision for a setting and what the story for the setting in, in you know, this very large scale sense was going to be like, but then you don't have a clear path to what the final output's going to be. Yeah. I'm, um, I feel like it, it wasn't even that clear. Like it, it was yeah, just kind of okay. like, I really like D and D. I also used to really enjoy writing before I tried to be good at it. And then, um, like I'm talking about like middle school is when I used to enjoy writing, maybe high school. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, the way I, I tried to solve this for a few years was to try to randomly generate things. That way, at least like I couldn't be shitting on my own terrible ideas because they're randomly generated. So then it would just be a playground for me to work in, but that never worked out. And I think was just a cope. Um, so this time around, I tried to just be like, all right, uh, I'm, I'm not going to worry about cringe this time because I used to always worry about, well, if it's an idea just from your head that you haven't like run through some random generation, it's just going to be shitty um, and derivative. So this time I was like, fuck it. I don't care if it's shitty and derivative. I'm just going to make a town that I want to live in. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Did, uh, yeah. There's, oh man, who was it? There, there was someone who had, who wrote an essay about creation that was really good. And I th- I think he was describing your case, which I which I absolutely understand, which is that if you want to participate in some kind of a creative enterprise, the biggest problem is not that you it, the biggest problem is that your taste is too good. So like <laughs> yes. you probably consumed a like you've probably consumed a lot of really good stories and you know what a good story is supposed to look like. And so then you write something and you look at it afterward and and you see exactly how it doesn't match that template uh, or, or even just like your, your aesthetic sense is keen enough to realize that what you wrote is actually definitely shit. And, and that's really discouraging in a way that it wouldn't be if like you actually just had no taste. Yes. And, and I guess that's a really common block for a lot of creative people where you want to do something good and, and you're, you can't do that yet. And so it's just like, oh God, this is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for myself. Like even even before you show it to somebody else, it's like, I can't believe this is what I'm coming up with, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's uh kind of funny that I hadn't put that together because that's a really um I don't know if you've seen that chart, but there's there's a chart that goes around the internet in art circles that describes exactly that, but specifically for like drawing and painting. Um and it's sort of like a stepped like I don't know how to describe charts. <laughs> it's like a series of yeah. steps going from the low part to the high part. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> That's good. And it, I, like the <laughs> the idea is basically like your um your your artistic eye and your artistic skill advance at different rates. And so what will happen is like your skill gets to a point where it's as good as your eye is, and then you're like, shit, this is the best thing I've ever drawn. This is fantastic. And then your eye gets better, and then you you're like, shit, I forgot how to draw. This is terrible. And it's just like that's what happens as you progress in both on both axes. No, not axes, whatever. <laughs> in, yeah, in yeah. Both roads. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever figured out how to get past that. I, I mean, I sort of have at work like, like, you know, with, with econometrics, which is, which is sort of like this, there's, there's an artistic element to it. I think, you know, I read papers and I understood them, but then I would go and look at my own data and think, oh, Jesus, what do I do with this? And I I think I've sort of gotten past that by realizing that a lot of the methods are actually pretty bad and I shouldn't trust them anyway. 
But if I hadn't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. And I mean, at my, at my job right now, it's, it's a little bit silly because I, I don't actually do anything that, that that's that technically complex. And what good analysis looks like for me at work is finding the most efficient and frugal and fast way of coming up with a solution to a problem. And I have to be able to explain it to people who, who don't really have any idea what a regression is. And, and so I actually know all of these pretty advanced methods and I just never use them because there's no <laughs> point. And it's actually completely unjustifiable from a business perspective to try and do that. Um, so maybe that's cheating. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's sort of like if you were trained in painting but you never really got that good as a as an oil painter and now you just draw comics for a living like really shitty comics <laughs> sounds like you're describing me <laughs> yeah really, really but, but like <laughs> uh i don't know actually if that's really good compared i mean like i've definitely have taken oil classes and I, I always wanted to like be like oh shit what's his name kendrick tun on, yeah, uh, Kendrick. Yeah, like his shit. I'm like, that's what I always wanted to do, and I have not gotten to that point. Mostly because I've picked up oil paints like three times in my life. But um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually. I, I got distracted. I just got excited thinking about oil painting. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I I mean, actually, I I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, it. I think this is sort of a trap that my ex fell into who, I mean, like, so she's, I mean, she's, she's incredibly talented, but she also seems to have a really hard time concentrating on anything at all. And, and, and she just, I mean, like, she's like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, be a musician. Oh, I'm going to be a, you know, comic artist. Oh, maybe I should take a, you know, oil painting again. And I, you know, and she, she was also a fantastic writer. And I mean, she was just so desultory about these things. Um, I don't know. I, I think it, I wonder if this is almost a defining, I don't want to call it a problem, but just a way of existence for people in and adjacent to our social circle. And I don't know what to make of it. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm not actually sure it's a problem in some sense. Like maybe it's just really efficient to not build skill like that at a deep level, but I'm, I'm not completely sure of that. It does seem like it should be valuable to have some people who are like intense specialists and some people who are generalists or who are, you know, have like medium levels of skills in multiple areas. But yeah, I guess the way that society is currently set up mostly rewards the specialists. Um, and it, it seems like there might, there should be a way to, to make the generalizing thing useful. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm always banging my head against that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think there's, I think there's rewarded by the market versus rewarded in some private sense. Mm. Like maybe if you can do these things at all of a really like rudimentary level, but like good enough level, you can often get your point across and, and communicate things in a pretty effective way. I think comics are a good example of this where, you know, n none of it is, has the, investment that's required for a single one of Kendrick's oil paintings. Right. But you can often, I mean, first of all, you can, you can really work with the, you can still do a lot of really beautiful things with the medium and convey quite a lot, even without that, that level of technical sophistication. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, to, like Kelvin and Hobbes, like 
was incredible artistry, but I mean, it was also just, you know, sketches really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess there's some disciplines like comics or even indie video games where you really could, you know, a single person could feasibly make one of these things uh, if they had the attention span (laughs) to stay on one project. Yeah. yeah, and it's like those those all require multiple skill sets. Um, I think that's the closest thing to an answer that I have for myself right now is to try to um, focus on, <laughs> I don't know, that's kind of why I'm, I was working on that D&D setting, because I was hoping it would be generalizable to lots of different things I'm interested in. And I would like to make a video game because I want to do all of the things that are involved in it, except maybe programming, but even that I kind of want to do, so. Yeah, I, you, might, you might actually find programming is enjoyable i i've i've that was actually my favorite part of my thesis it it was work and i don't get to do very much of it now but but it's like if it doesn't require that much math i mean especially if you're not trying to do really high performance stuff and it i i found it really satisfying to just build this complex machine that would do exactly what i wanted it to do and in my case you know it was like building a house out of like you know, uh, again, twigs and chewing gum, but like it worked, you know, it fucking worked even if yeah. it was terribly architected. And, um, and the beautiful thing is that computers are fast enough now for most purposes that like it can be horrible like that. And you can still, I mean, it, you know, nobody's going to know that your code is shit unless you, you show them the source code because you know, who cares? Amazing. So God. Yeah, I mean, it, oh, I do really enjoy coding. The few times that I've tried it, you know, I've sat down for like six hours at a time and just played with Python or whatever and been like, this is great. I could do this all day, every day, except for the part where you have to like understand things like how terminal works. And I'm like, I don't care about terminal. I don't want to touch it. I just want to play with Python. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, get a get a sufficiently good. Did you did you use um the baseline, uh, what do they call it? Idle, or did you get PyCharm or something like that? Or um, I feel like I've tried all those. I just use Sublime. I don't know if that does the same thing as those. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I haven't used Sublime, but it should be pretty similar. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think let's see. Um. One one thing that I think is tangential to this that. Um. I I think you were talking about, or somebody told me to ask you about this, or something. Um, is, is this idea of resilience, maybe, is that something you were talking about on the timeline and like thinking about how are you, you were using Twitter to develop? Oh, huh. Um, I think I have talked a bit about resilience on the timeline, but I don't think I've thought of it in those terms. Um, I mean, the only thing that I, that comes to mind is just, uh, the idea of like high resilience days and low resilience days. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, which I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's like a common thing, if that's just the thing that everybody has, but it's like, I, well, I'm still waiting on my official paperwork, but as far as I'm aware, I was recently diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorder. And one of uh-huh. the common features is like having meltdowns and stuff, which I don't really have in the, uh, the usual stereotypical, like banging your head against the wall and yelling or anything type of way. But I'll just have these uh-huh. like weird crying fits where like I become, it's like, it feels like my brain is a computer and there's been some kind of a weird glitch and I need a system like a restart or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like with a bit more awareness, I've realized those seem to happen on those like weird low resilience days where I'll start to notice like everything bothers me just a little bit, which normally I just ignore. Cause I'm like, that's stupid. That shouldn't bother you. Yeah. I, I don't know. That might be, 
I don't know if that's necessarily unusual. I mean, there are, and it's hard for me to remember the times before, before moon was pregnant, but um, I mean, I think like right now and sort of recently, at least, I mean, like there'll be days where she, she's just kind of a mess for no particular reason and not even for the entire day, but just like something will happen. It's like, Oh, you know, my, my mood is totally destroyed and I don't feel like I have control over it. And I mean, I, I definitely have times like that too, although I think it's maybe more muted in my case. Um, her, her hypothesis is that it might have something to do with testosterone in particular, where, you know, a lot of things are, are somewhat more muted when, when people, uh, especially when, when women transition, um, or like when, when trans men are starting their transition and like they start taking testosterone and like things just don't throw them off kilter quite as often, or when they are thrown off kilter, it's more like I'm mad and I'm going to crush something rather than, you (laughs) know, like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And feel maybe. I'll just die um, then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I, I mean like definitely in my case, like I, I think I have something similar to low resilience days, but it's more like I'm pissed at everything, but Uh and like kind of a low grade pissed. And, and so in those cases I tend to try and just like isolate myself. And I mean, like, I said, like play wow and listen to podcasts and don't inflict that on the rest of the world. But I'm not actually sure that that's so unusual. Like I think there's maybe just some band of, you know, either being buoyant about a lot of stuff or just kind of being pissy. And I don't know, I don't even try to fight it anymore. It's just like, all right, this is how I am right now. And I don't have any control over that. And that's, that's how it's going to be. I think that's the way to go. And I mean, also it helps a shit ton just to be aware that it's happening. Cause like, I don't know. This yeah. Is, yeah. To be a very common trait among the, uh, the completely disembodied rationalists. But like, I used to have no awareness whatsoever of the state of my body at any time. And I'm just now starting to work on that. And like, Oh wait, I can kind of predict my moods as they're ramping up rather than just being blindsided by like, now you're crying for no reason. Oh yeah. I wonder I wonder if maybe one of the most important things you can possibly do to develop as a person is just paying attention to absolutely everything. And I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I I mean I I had a thread a while ago about fashion that was more or less just start paying attention to things and noticing things and notice when you notice things. And, and kind of build it into an awareness that you just have available to you. And when you do something like that, you eventually start to develop taste and, and preferences and ideas and I'm, opinions, but in the good sense. And I, I wonder if there's something similar that you can just do with yourself in your internal life. Don't say meditate. <laughs> no, um, I, no, but- no I, I, I will not. I'm, I have <laughs> never meditated and I don't think I ever will. Thank God. Thank God somebody said, okay. That's good. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, I think at first when you said notice absolutely everything, I was thinking of it in like a very manual, um, like spreadsheet sort of sense, which I think is a terrible idea for people who are very disembodied. But um, yeah, the idea that like noticing is like 80% of anything, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah. Oh man. Meditation. Um, What's, what's your beef with meditation? I, I, have myself i have sort of a visceral revulsion about it which in i'm not saying it's bad but i definitely find myself not resisting the idea of it pretty intensely 
Yeah, I mean, it, to some extent, it's just an aesthetic thing where like, I'm, I'm more accepting of hippies now that I know so many of them and they're lovely people. But um, yeah, the idea of it disturbs me. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think part of it is just that um, I don't know for sure whether it would be beneficial to me. And the idea that it's something beneficial and that could solve all my problems that I'm just not doing because I hate it is disturbing. And I don't want to think about that. Uh, but oh, legit. Yeah, my default mode though is like I'm like a shark, right? Where if I'm not producing things and and doing things, then I feel like okay, I should just sleep because there's no point in being alive, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so meditating is just like cool. So you would just kill yourself for a period of time. You would do that to yourself on purpose. Like it sounds horrible. And I've tried it a few times, and it's been like the good parts of it are just sometimes when it, I remember that I should maybe breathe sometimes but i could just do that in daily life theoretically without having to set aside 20 minutes yeah okay so um how does this and and i'm I'm not sure if you've used hallucinogens before have you no i haven't yet i would like to try though okay interesting well we can talk about that uh someday when there's travel and also not in a public forum but also um yeah okay it i i will speak for myself and say that when it comes to introspection, I actually find that using hallucinogens is somehow more appealing to me than meditating is. Um, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just an attention span thing. Or maybe it's an aesthetic thing. It's like, you know, lying still for a while and following some set of protocols versus having, you know, 300 micrograms of ALD 52 and, and just getting blasted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, it feels more uh, cyberpunk for sure, which is yeah, right. way more appealing. Yeah, it. I, I don't know. It, it kind of has a virgin chat vibe to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, that's well, well, that's super interesting. I guess mm-hmm. meditating is definitely more effortful, at least before you're good at it, right? Because I know the goal is for it not to be effortful, but when you don't know what the fuck you're doing or you're not used to it, you're just sitting there trying to force your brain to stop to stop. And then if you could just yeah. manually apply something that does it for you, that seems to make much more sense, really. Yeah. I, I think there's an element of, of like, just there, there were a series of essays that somebody put out that were about the difference between trying to do something and doing it. And I think it was, I think the essay might've been called stop trying to do X and do X. And like the, you know, like if you're trying to do something, it's like, okay, I'm going to like sit down and I'm going to make a list of all the things that I need to do in order to like get this outcome. And like, you can spend a lot of time and energy, like making it seem like you're very busy doing the thing, but you're also just setting up a story about why you were unable to do the thing <laughs> and, and like you're, you're just prepping yourself for the story. And um, I kind of feel like meditation as I understand it, which is almost not at all, but, but like, okay, I'm going to like get my life together and I'm going to sit and I'm going to think about these things and just like dwell on them or, or not dwell on them, but like, you know, have this plan for working through them and have this meditation program. Just like, okay, why don't you just like do the thing? Why don't you just like get this shit together? You know, um, it seems like this is a very roundabout extra steps way of, of not doing the thing that you don't actually want to do. 
And actually, there's there's a sorry, I've been talking. I was no, 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 cut myself off. Okay. No. Um so there's also this idea that that Moon has about the idea that people like to live the life that they know how to live. And there's a sense in which if you want to be living a different life or if you want the fruits of a different life, you actually have to start living this different life, which involves being perhaps a very different person. And I can see meditation being a thing where it's creating this big show of what you would be doing if you were trying to be a different person in this kind of ritualistic and and sort of almost stage-managed way but without actually becoming a different person. And so I'm a little bit suspicious of that, perhaps. That just makes me think that the correct way to approach that sort of thing would be to just try like LARPing. But instead of thinking like, what would this person do? And then trying to do the things you just try to like have the vibe. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, like to just directly have the vibe of that person. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe there's a certain amount of method acting involved. Yeah, there. that's what I'm thinking. Although going back, I wonder if we were talking about two different types of meditation, because I'm not super familiar with all the different ones. But I guess I, mostly mindfulness is the one that I hate, because it's like you're not allowed to do anything. You're just supposed to just not concentrate on things or something. Or like, you're supposed to be aware of your drifting attention, but also try to redirect it so that it's not drifting. So it's focused on nothing. And that's just miserable. But maybe the like introspective meditation, I just feel like I could just do that. I just do that all the time though. And it's not good. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't do like, I don't sit down to introspect. I'm just constantly hacking away at problems, um, which is mostly probably just exacerbating problems instead of just being Chad and vibing. Although maybe yeah. the meditation way of doing it is better somehow, but like, I don't think that me sitting down and thinking about things is going to improve my life at all. Less thinking. Yeah. Ma- yeah. Maybe like going and doing things and occasionally thinking about what you're doing while you're doing them mm-hmm. or, or even obsessively doing it, like carrying water and chopping wood, but sort of thinking about it while you do it, perhaps yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, Moon was talking about the, the mindfulness stuff and I can't remember whether it was Mark or somebody else, but was talking about how it actually is sort of designed to turn you into a zombie. And like <laughs> that's the desired outcome. And I mean, that's definitely not appealing to me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's actually no. pretty bad. So I, mean, I was a pretty solid like objectivist for a while. And I, I wouldn't even say that I'm not now. I just have stopped kind of paying attention. So that's pretty viscerally the opposite of what I want. Oh, interesting. Do you, um, I, we, we could talk about this some other time. We're definitely, so we're, we're over an hour now. Um, oh, wow. And I, I'm, I'm curious about objectivism because I'm going to talk with an objectivist in, in, in like another week or two. And I'm skeptical of objectivism too, if for no other reason than I read Atlas Shrugged and I absolutely skipped over that fucking speech. Couldn't you do it. Nothing. Couldn't do yeah, it. You're fine. <laughs> I read the whole thing because I'm, an idiot, yeah. Uh, but it's it's just a recap of everything else. Yeah. Um, she Man, apparently her editor just begged her to cut the fucking speech and she wouldn't do it. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> She's so based. <laughs> she is. That's so awesome. I, I, gen- <laughs> I think that was part of why it took them so long to make an Atlas Shrugged movie too, because she was insistent that they not cut anything. 
And it's like really yeah. you're gonna have a the whole the speech itself is like three hours long. <laughs> 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 oh man. Yeah, no, I you know, I respect I respect that that level of I I it does feel chat in a way. Like terrible, terrible. I'm not gonna read the speech, but I respect that you pushed it so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. Do you do you wanna um before we close out, do you wanna ask me anything? I've so I don't feel like I've been grilling you exactly, but I have asked you a lot of questions and you know, this is my own, th- this, it seems like being hoist by my own petard <laughs> on my own show from time to time is good for me. All right, Eigen, how'd you get to be so Chad, huh? I, I, I think it started in ninth grade on swim team. So I was, I was extremely virgin in middle school and I, I, I mean, like I, when I was getting on the bus to go to school in ninth grade, I was terrified, right? I mean, middle school had been terrible for me and I was a mess and I didn't really talk to people and fairly early in ninth grade, there was a kid in my Spanish class named Nick. He's like, Hey, you should join the swim team. You know how to swim. Right. And I did. And it was one of the best choices I ever made. Um, everyone on swim team was fucking weird, like really, really <laughs> deeply weird as I think is usual for swim teams. And we were, I mean, like, you know, they, they worked us pretty hard. It got me into fairly good shape since we, we had strength training worked into everything. And I I really loved to lift weights and I learned how then. And I also met a, a, a good friend named Matt who remains one of the weirder people that I know, um, you know, got me into anime, um, and also was in boy scouts. And he invited me to, his there's a there's a boy scout camp in florida called sea base and it's great it's it's not it's not hardcore it's uh, you you basically rent a boat and you sail around the keys and you know it's a bunch of 14 year old boys so you you know sing pirate songs and and it was one of the stranger one of the more surreal trips that i've been on because it was eight of us on a boat with not much contact with the outside world. And within a day, we we had devolved into this strange sub-society where everything was a language game based loosely around Simpsons lines. And <laughs> and 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 like our the entirety of our conversations were were just like evolutions of of this initial game of of making Simpsons quotations. And I guess by the end of it, I felt really validated in being sort of a strange person and like I was sort of empowered to just make up social rules as I went along and, and like feeling like I could have a place in the world doing that and that there were other people who were interested in playing that sort of game. So I would, I would say that was one of the pivotal points in my life and it was pretty good for me. Um, But Boy Scouts was actually great. I, I, I moved, so I started high school moving from another city, and my mom kind of twisted my arm into joining another Boy Scout troop when I moved down there. I was 13 or 14. And the second meeting that we had, the second troop meeting that we had, I they were having elections for senior patrol leader, which is like the the highest level position for the boy in the in the troop. And there's one person running and they went up and gave a speech and it was, it was pretty bad. And the scout master was like, all right, well, anyone else want to go for this? And I don't know what motivated me to do it, 
but I just stood up and said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And I won somehow. I think, (laughs) yeah, I think, I think the other kid was, he, he would not have been a good choice in any case. So, so then I was like, oh shit, I'm in charge of this troop of like 30 boys. I guess I need to figure out how to do that. And that was really good for me too. Like just, just having some responsibility thrust on me after a, an entire life of just kind of, I mean, like you don't really have responsibility to do things in school. You know, you kind of have to go and read things in class and show up at, I mean, that was always really easy for me. So it, it felt like mostly a life of dicking off and not doing very much. And suddenly if I wasn't like calling people and telling them to show up to meetings and planning things like, you know, it would be a disaster and nobody would know what was going on. And I, you know, I had to mediate social disputes and that sort of thing. And it still took me a while to get more comfortable with myself and it's an ongoing process, but I, I don't know. I think that was the turning point for me um, from from my previous life of basically feeling like a social outcast. So that's fantastic. That's a story I tell. Yeah. So it sounds like the components are like join a squad, lift, and bite off more than you can chew. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, I think a lot of it was just a really heavy dose of male friendship. Shout yeah, how the fuck life. do you get that if you're not a man? That's what I've been trying to figure out my whole life. <laughs> I don't want to have to transition yeah. to this shit. Yeah, no. Well, it's fucked up. I, you you should you should definitely talk with Moon about this because I think I, I mean she has similar feelings about it in a way where she she doesn't have that many female friends that she really like feels like she can identify with. And she um God, I, I can't remember what her username is, but it's another somewhat goblin-like character, although I think kind of a southern a southern variety of goblin, um, who is who's married to Orthonormalist. Oh and yeah, yeah. So her, I mean, like, so so they're really good friends, and I think it's that kind of vibe. And I think maybe you just need to meet some people like that. We should we should try and figure out how that is how, how that's done. And I I have a bunch of other ideas about this, like maybe mentorship is something that's a lot more common like intersexually for men than it is for women and i don't entirely understand that and i don't know why and i don't even know if it's true but i think that could be something that would be helpful for women if you could figure out how to implement it i don't know i know that like there are lots of like women who do like women mentoring women type of things but like i don't vibe with that i mean like i consider myself non-binary because like the like women are just so fucking alien to me but yeah i mean uh, i don't know like i would rather just get a dude mentor or <laughs> yeah no for sure no man yeah yeah and it's and it's weird too because i think there there are like certain ways that the boring heterosis dudes can interact that i don't know if they would exactly feel like like i think a lot of guys would feel reluctant to interact that way with women like like sort of sort of in the way that like you can like men can be a lot rougher around other men and it's just like kind of cool and you vibe with it than than you might with women and that actually seems like an obstacle because it could be kind of there has to be a way to do this. And I don't entirely understand what it is. It it actually might be really interesting to hear like you and 
maybe liminal warmth and Salentalekia for sure talk about this and, and like try and figure it out. I'm really curious how that would pan out. And if, if you guys want to use this as a platform to hash it out, um, feel free at any time. That but would be super fun. This seems like an important problem. Yeah, how the fuck did it? Hmm. I wonder if uh, uh, just anonymous online <laughs> squads and mentorship is the way to go. That way people can't, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe we just all have to do this for each other on the timeline. Yeah, that sounds good. I like that. Oh, actually, uh, Acid Shill is my unofficial mentor. He's about like oh really twelve years younger than me or something. I don't know. He's just got. We seem to have a, a we vibe, but also he's just got this like his own like Chad thing going on that I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to pick up some of that by osmosis. So. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I um, I was I was inspired to start this partly by the the time we went on Beckton's Goon Squad, and <laughs> it just seemed like everybody was having a really good time, and I appreciated that, and and wanted to like maybe have some of that for myself. So yay, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me for an hour, and um, if. I, I don't know if there's any way that I can repay you. Please let me know. Like send you maybe I, I could send you a cookie or something. A really no, no. large this cookie. Was its, yeah. its own reward. This was a delight. I also, I just have a really hard time like socializing one-on-one with people in non-formatted situations. So this is like one of the rare chances I have to hang out with somebody where it's not like massively uncomfortable. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you weren't uncomfortable. God, I, I, always strive to make people comfortable in whatever kind of social setting I'm in. I mean, like that's almost the, the like core of being polite, I think. So anyway, cool. Yeah, no pleasure to have you on. And, um, I guess I will see you on the timeline. Excellent. All right. I'll talk to you later.